Good morning. I'm reading from uh, Job 1, 1 through 22. Um, in the land of Uz, there lived a man whose name was Job. This man was blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. He, even, he had seven sons and three daughters, and he owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 donkeys, and had a large number of servants. He was the greatest man among all of the people of the East. His sons used to hold feasts in their homes on their birthdays, and they would invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. When a period of feasting had run its course, Job would make arrangements for them to be purified. Early in the morning, he would sacrifice a burnt offering for each of them, thinking, Perhaps my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. This was Job's regular custom. One day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. The Lord said to Satan, Where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord, from roaming throughout the earth, going back and forth on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. Does Job fear God for nothing? Satan replied, Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? You have blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land. But now stretch out your hand and strike everything he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, Very well then, everything he has in, is in your power, but on the man himself do not lay a finger. Then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. One day, when Job's sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys were grazing nearby, and the Sabaeans attacked and made off with them. They put the servants to sword, and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, The fire of God fell from the heavens and burned up the sheep and the servants, and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, The Chaldeans formed three raiding parties and swept down on your camels and made off with them. They put the servants to the sword, and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, yet another messenger came and said, Your sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at your oldest brother's house, when suddenly a mighty wind swept in from the desert and struck the four corners of the house. It collapsed on them, and they are, they are all dead, and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. At this point, Job got up and tore his robe and shaved his head. Then he fell to the ground in worship and said, Naked I came from my mother's tomb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. In all of this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. This is 1 Peter four twelve through 19. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. For the spirit of glory and 
and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or thief or any other kind of criminal, or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. For it is time for judgment to begin with the family of God, and if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. Amen. Thank you. Shall we pray? Lord, we thank you for your word, which is true. May your word speak to the speaker and hearer alike. Lord, I pray that you would speak to us, guide us, lead us, rebuke us, comfort us, um, show us your ways as we dive into your word today. We give you praise and we honor you. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So this morning, as you can tell most probably from the scriptures, we are working through um, suffering. Sometimes in our lives as Christians, we, we face suffering. And when we face suffering, not actually sometimes, times come in our lives as Christians where we face suffering. And when we face suffering, we don't know the micro reasons why we suffer. We, we struggle with it. We ask ourselves questions. But even in not knowing the micro reasons, our trust and our faith in God helps us to keep going. And today, my encouragement as we start is that as you hear this, know that for every believer, every believer, a time of suffering comes to your life, like everybody else in the world. Every one of us, a time of suffering comes, but for us, we suffer with hope. We suffer knowing that God is with us, and we're going to look at that. So today, I want to look at a little bit of some of the micro reasons that Scripture gives, not the word, some of, not all of. Some of the micro reasons that the Scripture gives us when we are afflicted, the knowledge of these, hopefully, is going to give us faith to go on when suffering comes into our lives. The matter of suffering is a hard one, and the matter of suffering is a real one. If you read the prayer cards in our church, you would know that a lot of people in our church face and have faced suffering. And knowing that and realizing that tells you that there is no, there is no dis- distinction whether you're a Christian or not. Suffering will come in life. And it's very important then to have hope to hold on to. And today, hopefully, our time together is going to give us that hope to hold on to. So the first reason why, micro reason why we suffer is that we are human and we live in a fallen world. We are human. There is nothing that can change that. We are people. Suffering is common to all of us. I know there's been a gospel that has been preached that if you receive Jesus, you never suffer. That's a lie. The Jesus that you received suffered. The apostles that carried this gospel suffered and were crucified and died. Some were crucified upside down. Some were burnt in oil. They suffered. Suffering is part of human experience. And when we realize that, then we know that it's, it's a lie to say that when you receive Jesus, you never suffer again. 
But it is true that when you receive Jesus, you never suffer alone again. And I want you to realize as we go together today that one of the primary reasons there is suffering in this life is because we live in an imperfect world. A world that is mirrored by sin. And therefore, we find suffering. These eventualities that come with that. We get hurt. We get sick. We die, eventually. And all these things happen. And as they happen, sometimes it's, it doesn't need to have a, a prophetic, cosmetic, uh, you know, big thing that involves the cosmos, why these things are happening to us. Sometimes they happen because we are human. When I walk and I hit my head on that pole, it's, not, it's usually not that God wants to tell me something. I should look at where I was going. <laughs> it's human. And I'll experience the pain for that and learn from that. Next time when I walk through that, I'll like, oh, there is that Paul. It's human. So the righteous and the unrighteous, they suffer. But the righteous suffer with hope. And I want you to see as well, God does not... These, some of these things are normal things like life that God created. Laws of life that God created. The righteous and the righteous see the sun... The righteous and the unrighteous feel the rain when it falls. The righteous and the unrighteous um, live with this implication of suffering in life. But we live with it differently because of our hope in Jesus. Having said that, I don't want you to go home and think, well, I should have all, all the suffering. I would not even think about why and whatever. There are some reasons that scripture gives us. And as, and as those reasons are given to us, I want to look at some of them and have us talk through some of them together. So, we ex- remember, we experience suffering because we are human. Without that suffering, we are not human. <laughs> it's a human thing. When I touch a hot stove, I experience suffering and pain because I'm human. If I was touching a hot plate and I did not feel the pain, then I'm not human. So there is humanity in that. That is who we are. But also, there are a few things that God calls us to in suffering. We went through the book of Judges together. Repentance is a big one. We saw in the book of Judges that each time Israel would go on and worship God, and then they'll forget about God, and God would let suffering come in the midst. And in that way, then God would raise, they would cry out to God and God would raise somebody else. That was a cycle. Remember the cycle that we showed on the screen all the time? We went to the book of Judges. That's the cycle of suffering and repentance. Where suffering is corrective. It's there to correct certain things. Psalm 119.67 says, Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I obey your word. There are times where suffering comes in our lives as a corrective measure. In Hebrews 12, 5 through 11, God is described as a gracious father who disciplines his children and corrects them by the means of discipline. And some of these might be suffering. And remember, as I go through this, these are not the exhaustive reasons why. These are some of the reasons why we can think and be grateful to God when we go through suffering. Call us back again to repentance. Number two, Calling us back to reliance on God. Suffering sometimes can be a call for us to realize that God is more important than all these life-sustaining props that we have around us. 
What do I mean by life-sustaining props that we have around us? God is more important than our money when we lose our money. God is more important than our health when we lose our health. God is more important than that when we lose that, when we lose loved ones. And sometimes reliance, being reliant on God, we learn to be reliant in our time of suffering. In my time of suffering, in my time of hurt, I learned to be more reliant on my wife and my mother-in-law than I had never before. I was, I mean, almost every single little thing I needed help with. And I learned to rely. I learned to be able to say, to see the bigger value of these people in my life. And so God does the same thing. There are times where suffering comes to help us to rely. Let's read 2 Corinthians 1, 8 8 and 9. He says, We were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we were despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Sometimes suffering comes in our life to help us rely on God. Our reliance changes changes our eyesight from the things around us that the props that keeps us up to the one who keeps us up. Constructive. Sometimes suffering comes into our life as a way of constructive. In Romans chapter 5, Paul says that the suffering produces perseverance, produces character, it produces hope. And he speaks about those things in, in, in Romans. And we see suffering as a way that God uses to construct us and to bring out certain things in our lives. Sometimes um, as, we, as, we, as, as we go through this suffering, this crushing in our lives, God is making something new within us. But it depends on our attitude as we go through this, how we receive and how we walk in that. So in that constructive, some things that come up in the matter of constructive is that training. God trains us in our suffering. Hebrews 12, 11 says, No discipline seems pleasant at a time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace by those who have been trained by it. Not the words, by those who have been trained by it. So suffering and how we handle it can make us better or can make us better. Your attitude in your time of suffering will tell what comes out. Is it bitterness or is it better relationship with Jesus and relationship with others? There are some people who go through a time of suffering and they come out of it so bitter and twisted. They are angry with everybody in the world around them. And there are some people who go through horrific time of suffering. And they come out on the other side with the sweetest and the most tender heart. And an open heart. So it is up to us how when we receive that, how do we deal with it? Is it making us brittle? Or is it making us gentle? When we open our hearts to God in our time of suffering, it helps us to make us gentle. It tenderizes us. When you want a tender piece of steak, you heat it. It feels the suffering. I love steak. 
Sometimes in our healing, that's where tender rising happens in our hearts. And so how we experience that will tell us how we become after that training. And in the training, there are one, two, three, four things that I want to think, think about with you guys. Number one is perseverance that we hear from that scripture that we talked about, what Paul says that comes out of suffering. Number one, God chooses to use suffering in our lives to develop perseverance. He chooses to do that. James chapter 1 says, consider it all joy. I'm going to have a conversation with James when I get to heaven. He says, consider it all joy when you face these sufferings. When you face trials of many kinds, it's joyful. But Peter goes on and says, because this testing says, don't think it as something strange. Because these testings are the testing of your faith that develops perseverance. We develop perseverance in our time of suffering. If we didn't suffer, we would not know what perseverance is. Number two, speaks of maturity. God uses sometimes our afflictions to bring out maturity in us. Oh, Lord, help me. James chapter 1, he says, Perseverance must finish its work that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. <laughs> Doesn't sound like, oh, yes. But it is a place where God works out maturity in us. And that is worked out in how we receive and go through our attitude during our time of suffering. Hebrews 5, 8 and 9 speaks of, of the fact that although Jesus was the Son of God, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And once made perfect, he became the source of salvation to everybody else who believed in him. Suffering, even Jesus himself, lent obedience and maturity through suffering. How much more us? Humility. Suffering causes us to realize that these props that we use to stand by, these crutches that we have, our health, our finance, our kids, our whatever, our home, our whatever, these crutches are not important. And when they go off, for me, if these crutches go off while I'm walking, I'm going down. I'm humbled. Sometimes suffering comes in our lives to bring us to a place of humility. In the soil of humility, God's grace shines and grows more than anything else. In the soil of a heart that is humble, there is growth of the grace of God. When you are humble, you understand grace. When you are humble, you understand grace for yourself and you are able to give grace to others. Second Corinthians, um, Paul speaks of his situation and he says, I know if a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in body, I do not know, whether out of the body, I do not know, God knows, such one that was caught up in the dead heavens. And I know such a man, whether in body or out of body, I do not know. God knows. He was caught up into paradise and had inexpressible words, which is not lawful for a man to utter. 
Of such one I will boast, yet of myself I will not boast, except in my infirmities. And then he goes on to speak about, then I was given a thorn in the flesh to keep me humble. Sometimes our suffering comes into our lives and it's the thorn in the flesh to keep us humble. Remember King Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel chapter 4, 25 to 35. He had to go and eat grass as a cow, suffering for him to be humbled. Sometimes suffering comes into our lives as a way to bring us to humility. Suffering again enhances our knowledge of God. It enhances what we, did I leave one point out? Yes, ability to help others, sorry. In our suffering, we are taught empathy. In our suffering, we are taught how to get into the shoes of another person who's suffering. In my short time of suffering, I understand how David Swinehart feels in trying to get from one place to another, or Margie Somers feels in trying to get from one place to another. Without my suffering, I would see it, yeah, but I would not have a little bit, a taste of understanding of that. I'm young. I, can, I, can, I could easily run and do things, but I cannot at this point, and I realize how that can be for somebody else. In 2 Corinthians 1, 3 to 5, it says, Blessed be the God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of all mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in our tribulation, in all, in our suffering, that we may be able to comfort those who are in trouble with the comfort which we ourselves have received from God. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also abounds through Christ. When we suffer, sometimes we learn what it looks like and we are able to extend that same grace to others. Suffering enhances our knowledge of God's heart. Very quick example, Hosea, the prophet. He's told to go and marry Goma, suffering in marriage with a wife who comes and goes whenever she pleases. And brings children that are not his, Loami and all those kids that are born in that. And God uses that suffering to help him understand what God is going through with Israel. There are times where God uses our suffering to enhance our understanding of his heart. Lastly, of the few little things that I want to mention about why we suffer, is that God may be glorified. Sometimes our suffering is just for God to be glorified. Genesis 50, 19 and 20, Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid, he's talking to his brothers, for I am in this, am I in the place of God? But as for you, what you meant for evil against me, God meant it for good in order to bring about, um, as to this day, to save many people. God is glorified through Joseph's suffering. John 9, 3, Jesus He's speaking to the disciples when a man who's brought blind comes to him and the disciple says to him, who sinned, this man or his parents? Surely they should have sinned somewhere, somehow. For him to face this suffering, there is sin. And Jesus answered them and says, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but it was the, for the works of God that they may be displayed and illustrated 
in him. Those are some of the places where we find suffering. But it happens to bring glory to God. I know it's a hard thing to think about. But it's a reality. Because we do face suffering. And a good example of that is the book of Job. That we read of the first chapter today. Job is a a guy who glorifies God in his suffering. Job is, Job is a man that we hear of in scripture. It says he's the most upright and blameless man. But then the Sabians come and invent his territory. They kill his servants. They steal his cattle. Then, as if it's not the end, the following day, lightning strikes and all his sheep and shepherds are killed. As if it's not done, the following night, the children come and they take all his camels. And then he hears that his, all his children have been killed while feasting. And not to, to end there, the cherry on the top is that he's suffering from boils in his body. He's afflicted in his body. And in the experience of all this, it reminds us again, the experience of Job, a God-fearing man, reminds us that suffering is no respecter of men. Suffering is part of our human existence. And God has a purpose that he uses suffering for. And I know some people try to deal with suffering by taking God out of the equation. But I want to just warn you that it does not solve the problem. Taking God out of the situation actually makes it worse. Because then we don't have hope to stand on. I know some of us and some people have been angry and disgruntled at God and confused. God is not afraid of us being confused and angry. Job did did say some things to God, and God was not afraid of that. And I want to encourage you, at a time when you feel that the moment you try and suppress and pretend it's not there, it's not going to go away. It's okay to be angry. But speak to God and ask him what is happening. It's okay. He's not afraid of that. It doesn't make him less God. So do not take God out of the equation. Do not explain God out of the equation of suffering. It's okay. And I, and I want you to think that, I want you to see as well that in this big thing that we have that is called pain and suffering, that we do not really understand that well, rejecting God makes the pain worse. And I want to encourage some of us that might be suffering today that rejecting God in this time of suffering might make it worse for you. But accepting him and walking with him, even if we do not understand, that's where faith comes in. And we yield ourselves to him. So do not try and redefine God. He is God. And in the process as Christians, we love to help our brothers and sisters who are suffering. And most of us become like the unhelpful friends of Job. And I'm going to go through those quickly. Our Christianity today has told us, feel good, feel nice. That's what Christianity is all about. That's not true. Our Christianity today has told us, we need to win whatever it takes. That's not true. Our Christianity has taught us this big idea of that we should be triumphant. 
Thank you, sir. Dependence, reliance. Thank you. Our Christianity today has taught us so many things about being triumphal and walking in triumph. Yes, those things are great, but that's not true that the Christian life is all about triumph. While we are here in this world, while we are here in this world, we are sojourners. We are people looking for a place that is better. Why would you look for a place that is better when we have everything we need and we are triumphant? As we walk through our times of suffering and our times of sorrow, I want us to realize that our brothers and sisters walk through this. They need us to be there with them. And these friends of Job, they lead Job to Job 16, 1 to 2, where he says, I have heard many such things. You are miserable comforters. <laughs> so he tells them. And I want you to think about what do you say to a friend who has just gotten diagnosed with cancer? What do you say to a friend who has just gotten an incurable disease? What do you say to a mother who has just lost a child tragically? What do you say to a husband or wife that has lost their spouse tragically in, the youth, in their youth? What do you say? How do you deal with it? These are the ways not to deal with it. So, first thing, first principle here is be aware of applying principles at arm's length to a problem that is too deep for your arm's reach. We can use those little things that we talked about. Oh, maybe there's sin in your life. Oh, maybe there's this and this. Be careful of doing that. Because then you become like Job's friends. Whom later God says to them, they have sinned against God. Even though they spoke and said, Job, you might have sinned against God. Surely God is not unjust. But God calls them, they have sinned against him and his servant Job. Sometimes we are quick to say things. Be careful on what quickly comes out of your mouth. When you're with somebody who is in suffering. One of his friends, Elphaz, took the high ground and he said in chapter 5, I suggest that you seek God, Job. I actually can hear his voice. Seek God, brother. Yeah? Why do you think Job is in that situation? As you know the back side of the story now. As for me and you, we know the back side of the story. We know why Job is suffering because he was seeking God, actually. So sometimes we are quick to judge. And not knowing exactly what is happening. Let us not use this Bible to be chilled in heart when we speak to people. And there are times where God will tell you that, yes, that person needs to seek me. And if you are sure that God has told you when you go to that person, you would exactly know how to say that in a way that they will hear it. In a way that would grow them. In a way that would edify them. Another one who comes is Bildad. He tells Job, you're speaking a lot of wind. God does not pervert justice. This is justice for you. Was it justice for Job? No, it wasn't. Job had not sinned. That's what scripture tells us. God had said that himself. Another friend who comes in, Zophar in chapter 11. He's narrow in his thought. 
He doesn't understand Job's suffering. He calls him again to repentance. Repent. Repent. Then the last one, Elu, is a man with all the answers. He tells Job, it's a matter of discipline, brother. You're not disciplined enough. And we hear that a lot when we are suffering from our brothers and sisters. And they're asking you, do you read your Bible every day? How many times do you do that? How many times do you pray? How many chapters do you read? Those are great things to hold people accountable to. But also remember that in the time of suffering, that might not be the case. It's not one sock fits all. It's not one size fits all. So be sure before you speak to your brother or your sister who is in trouble, be sure that God has has given you words to speak. If not, be like Job's friends. In the first few days, Job chapter 1, sorry, Job chapter 3, verse 4, when he had told them that they um, they would have been better to be silent because in the beginning they came and they sat with Job and they were silent. And that was more helpful than anything else. Sometimes when we meet people who are struggling, sometimes it's zip the lip. Be there. Listen to them. Hear them. You don't need to have answers. We are so much wanting to help that we want to have answers. We don't have answers sometimes. Some things that are hidden are for the Lord. And things that are revealed are for us and our children. Even when we don't understand, God knows what he's doing. And in the knowledge and hope of that, that God knows what he's doing, I can sit with my brother and my sister who is facing suffering and sit with them even in silence and just be there. My presence be the healing. Your being there, not your words, your being there is a healing presence to your brother and sister who's facing suffering. Job had said to them, you are worthless physicians. You obviously are useless. All that you would keep silent and it would be your wisdom. If you had said nothing, it would be profound eloquence. Sometimes this is profound eloquence for our brothers and sisters that are going through suffering. But in all this, I want us to remember, God is faithful in our suffering. God is faithful in our suffering. We read in 1 Peter that you should not be surprised when these things happen to us. But we should rejoice and know that we are participating in the sufferings of Christ. So there is realities in suffering, but God is faithful in those realities of suffering. We are not surprised. Suffering exists. And suffering is real. And it tells us in 1 Peter 1.6, In this you greatly rejoice. Now for a little while you may suffer grief in many kinds of ways. In many kinds of ways we are, we are shaken, we are, we are pressed, we are broken. In many kinds of ways. And he says, and Peter Peter has the audacity to say, even in this little time, he calls it this momentary time, this little time. But he's speaking at it 
in light of eternity with God. Pastor Ryan did a sermon once, and he used the example of people that stood up here with their hands out to show, this is my life 70 years, but this is eternity. So it becomes, in that light, it becomes something for a while. Romans 8.18 says, I recall that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. The sufferings are for the present time. Weeping may last for a night, but joy comes in the morning. And that happens because we know that God is faithful in our suffering. How do we know that God is faithful in our suffering? God is there in the reality of our sufferings. Exodus 2.24, we read this. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out for help. Because of their slavery, their cries went up to God. And God had their groaning. And he remembered his covenant. God looks at our groaning and he remembers his covenant. He remembers that we are his. He remembers that we are his. He's compassionate. He is kind. He is concerned about us. Acts chapter 9, 3 to 5. This is Saul. And as he journeyed and he came near to Damascus, suddenly uh, there was light shining around him, a light from heaven. And he fell to the earth and earth and heard the voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Not why do you persecute my church? Why do you persecute me? Because he partakes in the sufferings of his people. And Paul, Saul, asked again, who, who, who are you, Lord? And Jesus says to him, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. When we suffer, God is in the midst of it with us. When Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that we read this morning were in their fire, the fourth man was there with them. God is with us in our suffering. God is present in our suffering. That gives us hope. The fact that he is there, the fact that we know that we don't walk through this alone gives us hope and gives us energy to praise him, gives us joy in the midst of our suffering. Knowing that we do not suffer alone, but we suffer with the creator of the world with us. Not just standing by our side, but with us in the suffering. He knows the integrate part of the suffering of your heart. Two people can have the same type of suffering, but never know really how the other one is feeling about it. But God knows. He knows it and he is there. In this time that you are feeling crushed, in this time that you are feeling that breaking, he is there and he is breaking and crushed with you. And as we finish up today with that joy of remembering that God is there in the reality of our suffering, I want us to, I want us to think about the song that we sang last and we're going to sing it again. The words of this song remind me in the crushing, when we are being crushed, just like grapes when they are being crushed, in the pressing of that suffering, he is making something different. He's working. God is working, even if we cannot tell and we cannot see it, he is working. In our suffering, God is working. 
He's making new wine. He's making new things happen. In that soil that is hard, he's breaking the soil to plant something that will come out and bring fruit and fruit that lasts. That's our God. That's the God we serve. It just makes me want to shout and dance and jump, but I cannot. (laughs) But that's our God. I know that he is there. And in knowing that, I now surrender. I now surrender to him, to his plan. The father knows better. God knows what he's doing. I can simply sit and surrender and say, Lord, you know what's happening. I don't need to understand it. I don't need to know it all. So I yield to your careful hand because I can trust your hand. I can trust your heart. And in our suffering, when we come to a place where we, we don't care whether we understand or not, but we know that his abiding presence is with us and we are willing to be made whatever he wants us to be. He says, I've come here with nothing. Job says, nothing did I come with and nothing do I go with. But praise be to God. So I want to encourage you today as we sing again, that there is new things that God is doing, even in our suffering. It's not in vain. Even in our crushing, when we feel crushed and pressed, in our breaking, we can lay it down. Lay down our legal props, our flames of legal props that we have, and pick up his fire, even in suffering, and know that he is there. So in the crushing and the pressing today, I want you to realize Jesus is bringing out new wine. If you're suffering in this place and you have not made Jesus and Lord and Savior of your life, you are suffering hard because you're suffering alone. And Jesus says, come to me, all you who are labor and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me for a meek and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He carries it with you. So if you have not made Jesus Lord and Savior of your life, and when suffering comes, you might be left alone. This is an opportunity. Opportunity. Give your life to Jesus. And as we sing, if you need prayer, if you need somebody to talk to, And you're coming forward and saying, Lord, I want to give my life to Jesus too. So that I will have somebody, even in my suffering, I'll have somebody. This side of the aisle is open for that. Come down down to this side and somebody will come and pray with you. But for us who are believers, I want us to sing this song with new understanding. That in the times of our pressing, he is bringing out new wine. And where there is new wine, there is new power. Lay down your flames, your old flames. Lay down your old loves. Pick up his. Pick up his fire today. You're going to need it to warm you up when it's cold. You're going to need it to light the way when you can't see in the darkness. Pick up his flame today. God bless you.